0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kipalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So the topic for tonight is um, Plaskin Like the Meiri, and I want to talk about um, Plaskin Like the Meiri, um, both in the specific question, um, can one Plaskin Like the Meiri, Um what would it, right, what would be the implications of Paskin like the Miri, but I want to put that in a broader context of the extent to which it's fair for ideology to drive PSAC. And There's a reason why we would want to Paskin like the Miri. One doesn't particularly care about Paskin like the Miri uh Hipless Shabbos and things like that. Right, that wouldn't be an issue. That would bother anybody one way or the other. Right, the reason that one is interested in Paskin like the Miri, the only time the question ever comes up, can I paskin like the Miri, is can I Paskin like the Miries? Unique positions about Jewish-Gentile relations. All right, that's re- that's really that's really the only time the question comes up. The only reason anyone would care, all right, is because the Mehiri says the Meiri says unique things about that. The other positions of the Mehiri are fundamentally uh, fundamentally irrelevant. Um, so the first, all right, and the reason why we want a Talmudic like them is because one finds the Mehiri's positions about Jewish-Gentile relations relationships more attractive than all right, than other positions. Uh, I read in the uh, the draft of an article I'm trying to write about this. I think the, the fun paragraph I wrote was that the mere existence of other <coughs> national and Uri has long been a source of great comfort to Orthodox Jews with, with universalist tendencies. <laughs> uh, right? I think that, uh, right. so the reason that one wants to pass like Uri is because you have unique positions uh, about Jewish Gentile relations that appeal. All right. That appeal to those of us who have discomfort with laws that make Sharp distinctions as to the obligations one has bet- uh, towards Gentiles as opposed to Jews, and particularly those laws that seem to imply that um, basic standards of ethics are limited within the Jewish community. Um, so I want to start by addressing the question of: Is it legitimate to find <coughs> ideolo- right to have ideological motives for deciding how one wants to Koskin? Um, then I move from uh, move from that to briefly describe what I see as my own ideological motives in this issue, which I'm going to be explicit about, and then talk about what the Miri actually means, and whether in the end, A, I think it's okay to paskin like him, and B, whether I think it matters. Um, Okay, so the question of whether it's legitimate to have ideological motives for psa. So to some degree, this is a, um, there's a famous, um, famous idea recorded as a dispute in the Babylonian Talmud, which is whether we are Dereshtam or de right? Whether it's ever legitimate to use rationales in, under, right, in interpreting biblical law. Now, in that position, uh, I'm somewhat idiosyncratic. The standard position taught in Yeshivot is that one cannot. Um, I believe that Maimonides' position certainly is that one can. And I further believe that, in fact, there never really was a position that one cannot. It's mostly a mood. Of, a mood. Right? How confident does one have to be before one rules that way? And I think one can demonstrate that it is, in fact, impossible to construct any system of law without trying to examine its rationales. But that's that's the issue about whether you have a specific law, you're trying to figure out the narrow rationale for that law. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is having overall positions that go beyond specific laws, and using those broad ideological positions, moral positions, to understand law. Now, it might be that that's better, and you say, of course you have to have broad values, and even if you took the position... That one requires a high degree of confidence, um, right? In order to interpret laws based on their specific reasons, of course you have to take broad positions, or you can say, "Look, that's even more klutzba." It's one thing to say that if God told you to do this, so we can figure out, okay, God told me to do this, right? So I can probably figure out why He meant that. It's an entirely different thing to say, "Well, I know what God wants overall, so whatever He tells me to do, really, what He means is okay." So that's right. That's in the. Um, and that's the broad philosophic issue. So I want to quote uh, one particular truth of cook in this regard. Uh, which, now, this is an example that can, I think, be multiplied many, many times over. Uh, the reason I want to quote this, um, this article of Rav is that um, uh, the rehearsal chef is a prominent Rosh Hashiva at Wayu, uh, wrote an article in a journal called the Nayyam a weekly partial sheet some years ago, which regrettably I don't have, in which he said that it was Kfirah, it was heresy, ever to suggest that ideological motives influenced Ksak. And a specific example was anyone who suggested that uh, uh, Rav Yitzchak, a cook, ruled that the heter mechira, the right to sell land in Eretz Yisrael, right, works. And you're allowed, to, right, and you can sell land in Eretz Yisrael during Shemitah in order to avoid the sabbatical year problems, uh, was motivated by a desire to, right, by Zionist perspectives, as opposed to by his own Right, his own narrow understanding of the laws of Shemitah, was committing heresy. So in that regard, I just want to point out that if I understood our chapter correctly, then our cook was committing heresy. Uh, because if you look at Shavu number one, it says, in our issue, which discusses the question of whether this is valid, that the, um, right, the pressure on Halakha from the question of whether Eretz Israel should be settled, right, and the desolation of our Holy Land, is a much more important value uh, than the question of whether one is required to observe the sabbatical year with fruits owned by Gentiles. Right? So, <laughs> so therefore, under such circumstances, it is fully obligatory to search after pathways to permit, even if that requires entering into very narrow spaces. Now, I think, you know, Ifrah Shepteh is nearly saying that at the end you have to have an answer that you can intellectually defend. Okay. Right? But that Rav Cook is entirely open in saying that given, you know, given the vast, you know, I have a broad boulevard of Halakha, and then I've got this little hole in the wall that I can sort of squeeze through, right, that he has, right, that his value judgment, that the settlement of Eretz Yisrael, right, is, right, is more important then this question of Shviz, right, drives him. Now that position is, you know, to some degree, what we call an ideological position. Yes, right? Is Doesn't uh, is Isn't he saying it's more
1: immediate, and not necessarily
0: more important? No, they they both. We're, we're facing the choice. We can either sell the land, and therefore, right, therefore have eretz right therefore have Israel, um, be right, have Israel, um, be settled. But nonetheless have you know have, have the the land not teach meat because there are all these non these non Jewish fruit orch- orchards going on around. Or well, we cannot. That's our choice. And we choose one. Because he says right, because Erco it's just more valuable. Uh right, yes.
2: The ideological position or is that a movement of the feature in the logic sense of giving a choice between this miserable and that means you know, I have to decide if I can't manage both simultaneously, which I do. You know, to you know, maybe I'm solving a that Maybe how do you distinguish between words in ideological position as from, you know, a matter like this from a logical one of which this one you do when you're faced with choice.
0: Well, because I think I think you you listen to the language. It doesn't say technical language. Technical language of. Well this is an assay, that's a lot assay. But right? he says, I think, right, that Yushiver right Yushivaris Israel and Hayishuv, right, the shome that's your broad policy considerations, it's not talking about technical it's not talking about technical issues, it's not talking about individual few of him. Right? It's talking about whether as a community, I set a high value on our right, on making sure that the settlement in Eretz Israel does not collapse and the land is not desolate. Now, of course, as a Halachic ideologue, Right, he will frame that. Right, he will say there's halachic value to that. That's why he's framing this as halachically you have to do this. But I think the notion that he's uninfluenced by Zionism, Rosh Hashanah specifically said to think that Rekuk supported the Heter Mechira and the Chazan opposed it because of their different perspectives on Zionism. Right, is illegitimate. No. Right, Rekuk clearly believes that. Right, that our act of settling of the land is a value. Right, and if he didn't believe that if he took the position that really we should wait for the Beit HaMikdash to come down in age in Hashemayim and until then we should leave right, we should leave Erez Yisrael alone he wouldn't say that I think that in a sense right? all ideological positions break down but I think his evaluation of the relative Beit HaHalachot is based on his prior presumption that bringing the Gagula actively is a value he uses the language of values okay again I use mostly as a you know as a as, a, as um, an excuse to get that in, uh, you know, perhaps our Schefter really meant it in the much narrower sense. Um, but I'm going to argue that that it's in fact entirely legitimate uh, to look right to look for um, to look for particular positions based on ideological uh, concerns. So, what are my ideological motivations here? So, on the one hand, I'm an American, and as an American, you know, as an American who is very patriotic and deeply influenced uh, by American tradition. And so one of the things that's, you know, drummed into my head is all men are created equal. <laughs> right? So that's where universalist tendencies come from. Um, you know, specifically as a Jewish American realizing the opportunities that has given me. Right? That it's good for the Jews to live in a country. Right? In which people take, right, take that as a, as a premise. On the other hand, right? So on that ground, you end up with very universalist tendencies. On the extreme other hand, um, so area of course, is dealing specifically with the context of Christianity. Right? And we should put another halakhic answer. The question of how one treats Gentiles, to some degree, was traditionally grounded on the question of whether one viewed them as odvay avodazera, right, which, uh, alien- worshippers of alien gods, which I define better as idol worshippers because it's not defined by having particular idols, right, odvay um, So it, we always said, well, it's much easier to relate um, to non-odvay than to odvay Okay, are Christians odvay avodazera? So on the one hand, right, living in a majority Christian culture, which treats me nicely, I think, yeah, you know, I don't want to tr- relate to Christians as if they have a On the other hand, you know, um, you know, as a Jew, you know, and um, a Jew of European descent, so I come from a tradition in which many people martyred themselves, right, rather than right, rather than convert to Christianity. If Christianity was not a vazera, that was a waste. No, there's no obligation. There's no obligation to martyr yourself, rather than right, rather than rather than um, engage in, right, in non abadazara practices. So on the one hand, right, there's a motive pushing me towards saying right, towards saying that Christianity is not Abadazara. On the other hand, I'm not really willing to say that. Right? What I really want is to be able to treat Christians as non abadazara but still regard Christianity as Abadazara. Now there have been strategies that were developed in that regard. The position of the Tosafa, which we will return to, famously is misunderstood, but it's a very attractive misunderstanding, as saying that Christianity is a vodazara for us but not for them. Right? That's how we preserve. That's how we preserve this balance. Uh, now, I don't think that the Tosafists ever said that, but um, right? But that's but the, the reason that position is attractive is it lets us come out with that intermediate position. Um, okay. Uh, now, the Meiri really goes. Um, the, the mirror really goes very far um, and I guess I should say one other thing there are, those are the extremes in between there are number one is I want to preserve the uniqueness of Judaism so if I say that all it takes to be a good person is X so then why bother right? what's special about Judaism? that's a problem and secondly right, one has the sense that somehow being part of a community means that you relate to members of the community differently than you relate to, me- to non-members of the community and so there should be some way thus as family members right, see themselves as obligated differently to each other there should be some difference right, between the ways Jews relate and the way to each other and the way Jews relate to non-Jews now um, the Meiri um, offering a way possibly to level many of those distinctions therefore was seen as um, both because he seems to diminish or is understood as diminishing the uniqueness of Judaism and diminishing the unique bonds of Jews to each other was seen as very threatening um, and because of this a whole series of a whole series of, um, a whole se- a whole series of um, objections were raised and I would say really um, the stark way right, the stark way of framing this and I guess I'm going to quote this article again because I think I, I wrote it really nicely so I said Meiri's um, <laughs> evident willingness to subject halakha to moral critique and Meiri's position is to say not just I think this is the halakha but I think if you don't think this is the halakha you're doing something very wrong And not just technically wrong, but morally wrong. Because there is no justification for treating people like this. So Me'iri's evident willingness to subject halakhah to moral critique raised alarm among traditionalists. As a result, various legends and methodological positions have grown up with the purpose of limiting Me'iri's halachic and ashgafic impact. These include the claim that Me'iri's works were unknown to the halakhic tradition before the 20th century, that His work was published by the memorized transmission of a unique manuscript from the Vatican Library, and therefore the Jesuits had infiltrated pro-Gentile glosses into that text. And I was in Yeshiva, this was in fact a very elaborate story about this. And the miri was of course unknown for many, many years. and there was one man who had a photographic memory who was allowed into the Vatican Library one, one day a year. What uh, right? he would do is <laughs> he, he would read the miri and you know, photograph it And he would come back and write it down very quickly. Right, and that's how the area. That's how the Meiri was published, um, and the area was unknown before this. Right, and now one has to be very suspicious because isn't it funny that a work which is a work which exists only in the Vatican Library, right, um, right, happens to have these pro-gentile glosses? Um, all very nice, but uh, regrettably not true. <laughs> um, not true. Uh, not true at all. Uh, if you look at the at the Harvard Library catalog, you'll see that the area is published as early as 1830. Um, the Birkat Yosef, the, uh, Birkat Yosef uh, already has a list of, of uh, manuscripts in the and, and volumes in, Erie published in the published in the late 19th century um, the manuscripts are not in fact in the Vatican um, although there are there are, there are, uh, as we'll talk about later perhaps, there are uh, really, um, there are places where there's only one manuscript and there's even one mysterious place in which the same manuscript has been published twice, but the text is not the same, specifically with regard to Gentile and Gentile Jewish issues. Uh, that manuscript has now been lost. So, one of the critical places in which the Miri says something in the Second Yoma, we have two publications of the same manuscript, and the words are different. Uh, right uh, 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 Substantively different. I really don't know how to explain that. Do uh,
2: okay. we have copies of the lost manuscript? Do you we know what the words were? Right?
0: No, all we have is that all we have is two different publications, allegedly, allegedly from the same manuscript, and they don't have the same words. <laughs> it's uh, it's very mysterious. Maybe, you know this happens sometimes. I know uh, uh, Professor Lyman has this great uh, lecture called "This uh, is Jonathan Abishitz's Epitaph, a Grave Matter Indeed," <laughs> um, in which he shows you that uh, on Rav Jonathan wife white epitaph. So the um, so um, the Emden Yaakov publishes. A picture of the gravestone, right, in which you see that there are these luchot, right. The gravestone is in luchot, and it says in big letters "Shop right, along the top of the luchot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> How could anyone possibly think <laughs> that Rav Yona's was not a sedetian? And then uh, Heinrich Gretz, you know publishes. He says, you know, this is you know, he defends Rav Re- Yona's against this, and he says this is ridiculous. And he publishes a picture of the gravestone, and it's two squares. And, you know, there's no place on them. And the letter Shin bent up inside that you appear in, um, appear. So people are strange things. So President Lyon actually went back and he found the gravestone. And the truth is, it is Luchot. It does say Shab but it could be coincidence because it says Shab in the middle of, you know, it just happens to be that the lines end in such a way that in the middle, that, you know, it's not that only says Shab it's, you know, blank, you know, word ending in Shin, Bas, you know, where he knows, etc. And so it just happens to be that the letters to people show up uh, on the gravestone. So, but two people published it, right? You know, allegedly from life, and neither of them, neither, neither of them have the, uh, neither of them have it accurately. So, who knows? Um, okay. Uh, so you have again, so you have this Yeshivish legend, which is uh, which is entirely untrue. You have a position attributed to the Chazon Ish, uh, which claims that newly discovered manuscripts can't uh, be quoted halacha at all. Uh, this has been debated back and forth in many contexts. Uh, there's an exchange between um, Professor Lyman, again, um, and one other person, and um, Rabbi Moshe Bleich, in tradition in which they go through all these positions. It's clear the Khazanish did use manuscripts. Uh, so what he meant by that alleged comment is not clear. Uh, furthermore, it's clear to me that this is just not true, um, because manuscripts of the Ritva, the Rashba, all of these were largely unknown prior to the, prior to the 20th century. They've all been published now. Nobody raises this concern with regard to any uh, known medieval rabbi other than Mir. Yes. Because of uncertainties in the text. Yeah. Yes, you have bad manuscripts. But right. But in terms of the question of whether the fact that a manuscript from a known rabbi right, write, can't be used because it wasn't it doesn't exist, we use uh, for example the commentary of the Rahabad, the Kama Navadazarah was published for the first time in many, many years in this century. Nobody suggests you can't use it. Much of the ritva was unknown. Right? For example, the Beit Yosef was unaware, you know, was un- did not have the ritva. Nobody suggests you can't use a ritva in yeshiva. Right? It's, it's only because of the and it's only because of these issues that the issue comes up at all. Um, so, I, right, so that, I think, is, is, is just, it's just not true, to claim that this is a broad issue. Yes.
1: Well, I don't get it. People are trying to go out of
0: their way to uh, be unhumane to Gentiles, and therefore they want to into question of the validity. Of the well, again, I think the Meiri, because the Meiri you know, says it in such strong language that it's clearly, they, he's clearly coming. The Meiri, right? Tells, you know, basically is read as, "Wow, this is an ideological perspective," right. and it has, you know, it doesn't seem to have any precedent. But we'll talk about what the, some of the other critiques are and whether that's true. That I think that that's why that's why people resist it. Uh, so strong so I think you know, there's discomfort because, because if this is really a really legitimate halachic position there are a lot of things which you, people can defend only because there's no other option in halacha so God told us when you have to say we have a choice and we're choosing that way it becomes a lot harder well do we you have a
2: choice Probably the of well, close
0: off. I mean, yeah, so well, that's because Gemara closed it off already. Although we're showing him it's not so not so easy, I don't think. That's my sense of where the tension comes. I should point out that you know there was a tradition in Western Europe of basking like the Miri of those who Hoffman, at least Jacob Katz claims this, I assume it's true. It's a German book, Baskin like the Miri. Um, and certainly in America, in modern Orthodoxy up until about twenty-five years ago. Uh, people assumed that they baskin like the Miri uh Rivaran Salvechik very publicly Poskin like the Miri. There was such a tradition and and they, and it was pretty open, we Poskin like the Miri because it conforms more to our sense of what living in the society is like. Um, okay, there's another so the, position uh, attributed to the Rub, um, I don't know if that's true, that the um that the Miri should be treated as the um, as the world's greatest Afron because he hadn't gone through the vetting process. It's a very interesting position, but again, it's not used with regard to any other Rishon in the same circumstance. I find it hard to imagine um, okay the um, uh, yeah
1: when you say these m- manuscripts were not known do you mean no one knew them
0: the I mean, theory, we'll talk they about with one exception in,
1: in archives that hadn't been looked at or do you just mean they were not printed so most people couldn't see them
0: with the exception of two sort of two, right, two citations which we're going to talk about in a moment the Demiri fundamentally is not quoted. Right? None of these manuscripts are quoted from, you know, from about the 14th century through the 19th century. That's probably true. And this is part of the destruction of Provençal culture by the Josephists. <laughs> uh, right? So that basically, the entire Provençal Halakha culture was wiped out by the Josephistic revolution. Right? <laughs> I just remember that this, Dr. Salvechik has this famous line about this. And so... Basically, all of uh, all of Provence, you know, all of Provence culture, like the Ravad, right? The Ravad, Dr. Soloveitchik has shown that the Ravad, you know, wrote a commentary on the entire Talmud, which was the dominant commentary of its day. And between the 13th century and the 20th, 20th century, no one saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mihiri is the last generation in Provence; he has no students that we know. Of. Uh, I have suggested that there's a um, you know, there's, there's one manuscript currently printed as a student of the Rashba, which shows certain literary affinities to Miri, and therefore it might be that someone could get a graduate paper seeing if there are uh, substantive affinities as well as literary affinities. Um, but so far, so far as we know, the Miri has no students. Um, and is really a radical thing, right? He's basically the Steinzeltz of his day. You um, right? know, entire, it's entirely different. His language is entirely different than anybody before, before or after him. Um, really, uh, he writes in a flowing, conversational Hebrew. Really, um, he rewrites the Talmud comprehensively with of summary. Really, if he had students, you would expect something. You would expect them to show up um, because he really does something. That's a lot of unique things. Yes, sir. Um, you mentioned that up until twenty-five years ago, it was just accepted that we're like the Miri and modern Orthodox. In modern Orthodox, what yeah. happened since? Even um, you know, more uh, self-consciousness. that would mm-hmm. be my take. How he might be um, okay. Um, okay. There are also claims, and these are much more serious. We'll have to address them. That, granted, that Miri says what he says. He didn't really mean it. It's not the Jesuits put it in, but that Miri must have been writing these things for the censors, and he couldn't possibly mean it. things as right the uh, the thing the things he says. And we'll talk about that in uh, we'll talk about that in greater length. Uh, one of the issues for that. This is one which. Um, I think very seriously, is that um, Erie has this expansive vision of Christians, apparently. We'll talk about that, right? You know, as these humane beings, immediately after the Albigensian Crusade. Um, that's really hard, right? They've just gone wiping out each other all through the, right? All through, all right? Rampaging through, right? You know, it's not, you know, if you lived in Erie's time, in the place, you're not likely to think of Christians as all of a sudden different than those bloodthirsty Gentiles of old. Because they've just finished murdering each other. And that I find, I find uh, it's a very difficult thing to understand. Why it is I Meiri mean, specifically at this time to start making claims that his Gentiles were different. Uh, another issue which I'll just point out for amusement is that people have claimed that, you know what, the Talmud says that Christians are right, Christians are good old-fashioned classic classic of Avodazara. But the Talmud says that Notzrim, right, no right? Nazarites, are of David That's pretty clear. Right, and their holiday is Sunday. So another reason that people get is, you know, well, even if you're going to say the Iri really meant this. But he's just wrong. Right? It's just crazy to say this because the Talmud says that Notzrim are of David Now Iri had a response. He said, Notzrim doesn't mean Christians. What Notzrim really means are descendants of Nebuchadnezzar uh, right, who worship, right, who worship the sun, and that's why they have the holiday on Sunday. And everyone used to laugh at this. Right, Jacob Katz has this line. You know, this is, here is an example of Meir's irenic personality. <laughs> he was willing to create a whole law. This whole, you know, this thing just to get out of those Gemara. That's what people used to think. Then, in the early '90s, a uh, Jewish historian, named Leonard Zalkman, uh, published a, uh, an article in which he had found a travelogue. This is the story. Of, you know. We're all in legends, right? So I first heard this story from my friend, Rabbi Yacob and he told it much better than it is in real life. So I'm going to tell it his way. And you can look up the article yourself. I think it's in J.Q.R. in 1993. So in the late 19th, early 20th century, if you were a British woman of a certain class and a certain age, so you felt you had to write a book. That was what you were supposed to do. Uh, I had a friend of mine, you know, also once told me, so, you know, I feel, I, feel like I have a book in me. I don't know what it is. But I feel like I have a book in me. And he's a, he's a throwback. Now, if you had to write a book, you had to write a book about something. But you really weren't so interested. So what you did was you traveled. <laughs> right? And you wrote about your travels. Um, so there was this one woman who went off to travel to the Middle East so she could write a book. And in the Middle East, she met this group of people called the Nusayri. Now, the Nusayri claimed descent from the bufad daughter. And they're sun-worshippers.
2: <laughs> and they have a legend
0: about their interactions with the Jews, which corresponds to a, par- to a particular Talmudic legend uh, about the Nusrim. And the Nusserai, uh originates in Persia during the Sassanid period, which is the time of Babylonian Talmud. Uh-uh. And the, prim- the primary, the primary um, image of Nusserai theology is some kind of giant statue of the sun and if you look in Christian literature of the Meiris time, you can find this image infiltrated. So it turns out that didn't make it up at all. Uh, <laughs> now, he might or may not be right about who the Notzrim are in the Gemara, uh, some people pointed out that it's one of the evidence for his positions is that the stream referred to, in one statement, are referred to by Rabbi Yochanan, and the Notzrim shouldn't really be that significant yet, right? as, as culturally significant as Rabbi Yochanan refers to them. So... Iri is not ridiculous anymore on that. You know, once upon a time, we thought, you know, he can't be shot in a tumble. Now we least we know he didn't make anything up. Whether he's right or wrong, he didn't make anything up. There really were Nusserai. He had the historical period right. There really were sun worshippers. Um, and, you know, and they, and they were around then. Okay. Um, so I think that the, um, of the claims that one cannot, the claims against allowing one to rule like the Miri the only one which really has legs is the claim that Miri is purely apologetic. Um, now that, um, I remember talking with my teacher, J.W. Blythe, some years ago, and he said he used to take that position. Uh, he also used to be supportive of the position that it was all Gentile, it was all Jesuit scribes um, putting stuff in. Um, but that became, right, that's because, as we'll see in a moment, that the Meiri was really only known through, people didn't really know the Miri directly at all. All they knew were two citations of the Mihiri on this issue in the Shittama Kubet of Mitzal Ashkenazi's compendium of medieval literature. Uh, right, said that once we had the full Me'iri, you look at it and these lines show up in so many places. Right, these kind of distinctions between ancient Gentiles and current ones show up I think certainly more than 60 places. Very, and not in the places you would expect people who were engaged in anti-Jewish polemics to know about. Uh, so you have to assume you know, a very thorough Jesuit forger you know, reading, through the entire, right, reading through the entire manuscript and deciding oh why don't I throw one of these in here <laughs> um, so it's just not so plausible uh, as, a, um, as it was but we're going to talk about the apologetic issue in a moment what I want to get to now though is okay let's suppose right, that on the, the first issue can one technically paskin like the Miri yes one is entitled to Paskin on ideological grounds right? yes right, as long as one follows somewhere in the normal rules of psaac Yes, by the normal rules of Psych the Miri counts as a Rishon. And right and what is inti- right and one entitled to pasquim like the Miri. Okay. Now the question is, do we really want a pasquim like the Miri? Right? What is involved what's involved in pasquim like the Miri? So what do the Miri actually say? So again, what people used to know were really only two sources. Right? They didn't know the Miri himself. Um, right, tradition right what the classical understanding of the Miri was until all these manuscripts were republished. Um we're, we're two citations of Shikha the Shittah of the Kabatah about the Here's the first one. Um, all right, so he says, the, Rabbi Mihiri wrote, it's a matter of law. All right, he's dealing with a whole series of, rul- of rulings that tell you under what circumstances it's legitimate to evade taxes. Right, basically, it's legitimate to evade taxes if the tax collector is out for his own good and not for the common good. A tax collector who is really an extortionist, right is, right, is a thief, and you're allowed to evade the taxes. Okay. So, Miri wrote the following. If the tax collector was of the ancient worshippers of false divinities, it's my translation, who are not bound by the ways of the legal religions. I mean, by legal religions, I don't mean the religions that law recognizes, I mean the religions that have law. And that's going to be very important going on, and this, um, we'll see where that definition comes from. Okay, so if there's, right, so if you have a, right, a tax collector who is of these primitive worshippers of ancient worshippers of false divinities who are not bound by the ways of the legal religions and you hid the taxes from him so since you're not absolutely stealing and nobody will know okay you can do that okay right. Then in another case by the way if you have a, a lawsuit between a Jew and a Gentile and the Gentile again is in that category so first you try and judge it by Jewish law and if the Jew wins great and if that doesn't work, then you judge it by the Gentiles' law. And if the Jew wins, that's great, um, right? And you don't, uh, right? But so you're allowed—you're allowed to put the Gentile in double jeopardy, basically. Miri um, still says you can't—you right, can't make things up. You just have to, right? You just have the choice of which legal system to use, and you should use whichever one the Jew wins. In. But he says, right? Um, he says, but even when you're dealing with such people, you can't steal them. And similarly, if you're a slave, you're not allowed to escape. You have to buy your way out because that would be theft. Okay. Uh, then he says, however, uh, however, right? While we say you're not allowed to steal, you are allowed to evade taxes. And also, he says, you're allowed to not you're not you're allowed to not look for their lost objects. Okay. If one of these worshippers of the ancient religions is not bound by the ways of legal religions. Right? His book of Elilim and Einogadur B'Dracheh Hadatot. If he loses something. His right, animal gets lost, you don't have to pursue it, to return it. And even if you find his lost object, as long as he doesn't know you have it, you can keep it. Uh, why? Because he says, right we're now with right, six lines to the bottom, right? uh, because finding something is a partial acquisition, so it is really sort of yours. derech chasidut, and returning it, is an act of piety. And we are under no, under no obligation to act with chasidut, with piety, towards somebody who has no legal religion. Um, okay? Um, however, he says, right, this is the last one I need to read, this is the last paragraph in the Hebrew, hakol shuvim ha'durim but anybody who is from the nations that are bound by the ways of legal religions, al and who worship the divinity in some fashion, even though their faith is distant from ours um, they're not included in that other category but they're just like regular Jews for these matters right? absolute Jews for these matters for lost objects even if they make mistakes right? Okay, for all matters without any distinction what is this category? Sorry? this whole category
2: yeah. Yeah. The gives you the category of Giritoshi. No, we're gonna get there. Mm, okay. don't jump along We're gonna get
0: there. Absolutely, we're gonna get there. But well, even here, here, it makes um, right, makes three, maybe four important claims. Okay, right. First, in terms of what, what are the what are the types of behavior? Well, there's normal behavior, and there's chassidut. Right, and towards all human beings, no matter how reprehensible you have a certain moral obligation, you can't steal from them, for example. And he resolves that Talmudic dispute. But, there's another category called Hasidut, which includes returning lost objects, and that only relates to a certain category of people. It's not clear there's anything special about Jews. right? He says, right, in his very stark language, he says, right, but in all those other matters, people who fit his categories, even though they're not Jewish, They're like an absolute Jew. In other places, he has even starker language. He says, he refers to them as
2: <laughs>
0: your brother in mitzvot, even though they're not Jewish. Really stark language, and if, if, even if you have universalist tendencies in some sort, that kind of language can, can scare you. Uh, <coughs> okay. Then, in trying to figure out which Gentiles meet this category and which don't, well, he says, well, okay, the bad ones, they belong to, right, they belong to they belong hakidumi. They belong to the ancient worshipers of false gods. Now, what makes them ancient? We don't know. We just, you know so, yeah, that's the language that already is suspicious. right? So the ancient, right? Well, you know, what makes them ancient? That sounds like apologetic language. Right? Is it okay when they were new? No, no. Right? We're that, the claim is you know, that not, not our Gentiles. Right? The, right? If they were from those ancient Gentiles right, who worshiped false gods, and then he has two criteria for the negative. Okay, two criteria are they worship Elilim, and they're not bound, they're not Gdurim Bidracheah da Who are the positive ones? Well the positive ones are Gidurim Bidracheya datot, right? They're bound by the ways of religion. And right, then he throws in a totally new line, wild line. He says, they al They worship the divinity in some fashion even though their faith is distant from ours okay now that's a line that you know that what does that mean right they're bound by the ways of religion and they worship the divinity in some fashion you know that their their faith is distant from ours so that just people that say what does he mean how do you decide that somebody is worshiping the divinity right? what's your criteria and does Christianity fit that criteria? yes I mean Oh, very good. You know, what do you mean? It seems like, like you think you the only category that should determine it.
2: Yeah. Well, right.
0: But he doesn't say that. <laughs> right? He says, right, that there are two criteria. There's a daily limb, and his Guru, now, to figure out, why does he care? Okay, that's a fair point because you assume that this is based on some kind of moral sense about, you know, tit for tat or something like that. But he doesn't say that. Right? He has a religious test as well. What does a religious test mean? We don't know. And how plausible it is that he applies this religious test to Christians. I don't know.
2: Okay. Can I ask a pretty question of yeah. the Right? And you might say that his concern is that somebody who is over the that's her, whatever that is uh out of this category. And therefore, perhaps that's what he means. Although then you would ask me, what would he say about you know, the ethical culture of society?
0: Very good. We'll get to those. We'll get to all those. Alright, i am just pointing out his language and pointing out not quite clear what his language means. Right? It's very very you know Worshipping the divinity, even though their faith is distant from ours, maybe that's a great description of Christianity. Uh, right, who knows? Okay. But the other the other place which Miri was known is in response to like the, the classic problem of discriminatory legislation. Is the mission of the Kama says that if the Jewish ox gores a non-Jewish ox, then there is right then the Jew then the Jewish owner does not have to pay, but if a Gentile ox gores a Jewish ox, then they have to pay. Right? So this is you know this is sort of sort of in your face. Yeah, so in your, it's in your face that, that both Talmuds point out wow that's in your face um, in the Yerushalmi you have this great line that I'm fond of in which in their list of discriminatory legislation Raman Gamil gets up and says and admits that one of them is a Achil Hashem and just changes the law hmm. um, It's very important because it's the only place in rabbinic literature I'm aware of in which a law is explicitly changed because of a moral critique although it's, it's changed by rabbinic legislation the uh, Babli has a much more complex understanding of this which is a separate shiur um, but, Nehri's response to this, um, in the end is, he says, right, the, one of the, the one of the ways that Talmud the, uh, justify this inequity, is by saying, we uh, you know what happened is that God saw, based on a, on a verse, that God saw that the non-Jews were not keeping the seven commandments. So this Mary says, aha, mashma, this implies, um, it doesn't actually, but let's granted that it does right. Mash the 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 that so long as <laughs> the Gentiles keep the Seven Commandments, the Islam that their law regarding us is like our law regarding them. Um, now there are two ways of understanding that I think, and I wasn't sure reading it, I always thought it was one way, but now I'm not sure. Uh, it could mean that therefore the law is the same way regarding the oxen, regarding or it could mean in this matter of oxen. Right, so we judge them however they judge us. And right? if they discriminate then we discriminate they don't discriminate we don't discriminate. Um, I think the simpler reading is very simply says the law is that we have to pay them just like they have to pay us. Um, and then he says And now that we've said this anybody who keeps the seven commandments right, this inequity does not apply to them lomar, there's no need to say that this applies to nations that are bound by the ways of legal religions and their laws. Okay, now this statement theory seems to be a much more straightforward equity issue. Right? It's not that right, we can't treat them unfairly as long as they're the they keep the Sheva mitzvah. But this very interesting line which seems to imply that Guderim Bidrachei HaDatot goes well beyond keeping the Seven Commandments. Right? I guess keeping the Seven Nowakai Commandments, that's his original idea. And he said, now that I've said that, of course you don't have to bother saying it about Gentiles who, have, right, who belong to their own legal religions. OK, that's what was known about Miri, and, right, and basically, it was used just as to... Um, people tended to focus on the common ground, which is that there's some obligation of equity towards Gentiles who basically keep the Shavimitzvot. And, and people pretty much ignored the religious aspects. Um, although, you know, there was some tension about exactly how to do that. But it really wasn't so much to build on. Because Mairi had these two comments. The first one makes so many wild claims. No one quite knew what to do with it. Um, but what you could say was as follows. It sounds like for Meiri, a minimum is keeping the seven Mitzvot, right, the Seven Commandments. One of the Seven Commandments is not to commit up Alright? right? So if the Me'iri is saying that nations bound by the ways of religion are better than people who keep the Sheva Mitzvot, and he's talking about Christianity, then Meiri must believe that Christianity is not of a right that, was, right. that was the argument the way it was understood. Uh, now there was a, another debate, a scholarly debate, um, mostly associated with uh, Jacob Katz and Ephraim Boabach, as to whether Meiri was halakhically creative or only um, ideologically creative. Now, did Miri actually end up doing anything that, that people had done before? Was he really trying to change the law? Or was it that, of course, nobody was going to enforce differing tort laws because it would be dangerous? Right? Um, right? Nobody was going to, right? In fact, it was a Chilol Hashem if you found the Gentile lost object and didn't return it. All Miri, all Miri did was say, you know what, the reason to do this is not because of Chilol Hashem, right? or because we're afraid they'll hate us, it's because really we, we're obligated towards it. Right. That was the Frank Warbach's position. Jacob Katz argued that no, Miri was actually a creative halachic force. Um, question, Josh?
1: Yeah, is there more uh, more questions? Just to say that Miry the has different um, expect, expectations for the individual as opposed to commu- as opposed to the community. What do you mean? That according to the individual, I expect you to observe the shabbos and the and that will put, catapult you into our laws and our sphere. Whereas your community. If you're an UMA, you just have to move the out very fast. And you don't have to keep the shovel mitzvah? Um it's not um, you if you're an individual, we, if we're Johnny of an individual level, yes, but if we're thinking you as a community, it's almost like a T an
0: Interesting claim. Let's see if you still hold it at the end. Okay. Uh, okay. So Katz and Rebus have this debate. Um, now this debate you um, have a question? She right? didn't it seems
1: to say it's psa. Yeah, Leary said,
0: but the question is, but other people can reach the same, the same conclusion by different means. I can claim that you always have to be careful, right, not to keep a Gentile lost object because they'll hate you, because if it gets out, they'll hate you. And of course, so therefore, you they have to return Gentile lost objects. I don't have to make any claims about them being special. It's because they're, it's because they're murderers. That's why we have to return their lost objects. So everyone's
1: saying that uh, Leary took
0: this to the law. Yeah, everybody's that Leary took this to the law. The question is, is, is his conclusion radical or only his reasoning? Right. So Katz said his conclusion was ra- he reached radical conclusions, and Orbach said no only his reasoning. Now that debate was uh, conclusively settled by Moshe Halbertel in a uh, right, in part of his, his book on the Mihiyeh, which uh, the first the chapter on the, which we're doing now is is published in the first line of the Yad Journal, and whether it's because he sat down and read through the entire Mi'iri uh, which would be impressive, or whether, like me, he has a computer program which lets you search out keywords. Uh, all is great. So we, became, we no longer have to limit ourselves to the eight or ten examples that cats came up with. You know, now we could just list hundreds. You know, at least you know tens and tens and I think at least 65, something like that, examples. And I only have like three that Hall doesn't have. Um, really show that Neary says this in lots and lots and lots of places, and at least some of them is radically creative logic. So that issue, that issue, I think is settled, probably. That Miri really says it in places that have radical practical implications, not just theoretical implications. But Halbertal also, in the process of doing this, comes up with a, um, with a, a further claim, uh, right? A very strong claim as to how to understand Neary, uh which puts it in much sharper ideological relief than just some kind of vague sense that people had before, not really reading him so closely and saying, well, Miri thinks that if they're nice to us, we should be nice to them, and if they're basically good people. And we should be basically good to them. Uh, okay, because you know, people understood the implication of Iri the that somehow you know it sounds like Christians are not the but but that wasn't the the critical point. And Albertel made this claim that there's a that Iri the is actually very precise. Um, what he says is that Halbertel says, you know what? There were three categories of legislation regarding, regarding Gentiles. One he says is legislation um what he says is, is um, we call Category A is um, legislation okay, this. Uh, there's, le- there's legislation uh, there's a the civilly discriminatory legislation like tort law that's A then there's B which is uh, attempts to avoid contact with Abadazerah and C which are laws designed to prevent you fr- from marrying them from marrying Gentiles and what he says is that Me'iri never permits anything in Category C. He maintains the social barriers between Jews and Gentiles. Whenever Me'iri refers to categories associated with Avodah he only uses religious language of Right, and that doesn't talk about, down by the way, but Gadur B'Trechei Hadat, doesn't talk about moral behavior. And when he talks about civil discriminatory law, that's when he uses the language of Gadur B'Trechei Hadat. So he says, actually, Me'iri has... Right, he really has a very carefully worked out position about how Allah wants to be. Right? That, um, right, that if you're bound by a dot, then we don't civilly discriminate against you. If you are, have a proper idea of God, or at least a close enough idea of God, then we don't have to treat you, right, we don't regard you as an idolater. And finally, right, but, you know, but nonetheless, unless you're Jewish, we're not gonna, right, you don't, we're not gonna marry you. Right? And in case you think I'm saying this too strongly, right, I gave you the exact quote, right, which the key line is, he says, it is no coincidence that the second distinction between Umot HaGdurot and right, never appears in terms of revoking prohibitions involving indirect contact with idolatry and the English translation is authorized as well. Right, so I'm quoting Halbertal uh, Halbertal directly. Okay. A, um, right, so if Halbertal is correct then we really have to take the area that is most radical which is not only is Mi'iri not only is Mi'iri saying that you have to treat Christians nicely right, or right, right, but you also right, but you also have to say that Christianity is not a bedazera, Um and right, Mi'iri is very precise about saying this right? he uses this terminology specifically to say that the reason that I allow these things which are in direct contact with idolatry is not the same reason that I change the civil discriminatory legislation Right, it's a very clearly worked-out position. Now, a uh, in a different position, uh, it's an alternative worked out by Rabbi Yehuda Herzl Henkin, in response to the Vanim, and what I think is a really impressive piece. Um, so he says, according to Meiri, um he has a right, uh, he starts off with uh, his own uh, his own what we call um, Michael Broyd right, is fond of referring to this. He says in law school this is referred to as the giggle test. Can okay, you say something with a straight face? If you can't say it with a straight face it can't be true right so basically what Othankin says is there's a person here there's a statue there right this person is on his knees before that statue praying <laughs> and you're going to say oh that's not a Bodhazara. Huh? no you're not going to do that <laughs> right that's, that's his bottom line right you're going to say right? Uh, right there's a right there's a tray of there's a tray of bread and wine here and somebody walks up to you and says that that's the blood and flesh of my God no problem Right, that right. That just says, "Look, you, you can't say that," and nobody could ever right. And nobody could ever have said anything like that with straight face. Right, that says, you know, I have my own problem with that which is martyrdom. Right, which is if Mary really believes that Christianity is not a desirous in any sense, then right, that he's saying that the martyrs basically gave up their lives for nothing. Um, and that I think would have been fundamentally inconceivable. It's still, it's still fundamentally inconceivable for somebody Jewish to say that. Uh, has said that in the right, Said that after the Crusades. Um, right, it's just you know, it was just you know, beyond the, beyond the boundaries of plausibility. I think. So, Rav makes a different argument. He says, um, right, he says he says right, he says that there, Me'iri, in fact has two categorizations. Right, um, he says there's number one. He says that Christians are not all right. Uh, he says that the people who he who rejects, right, the Avodas Raktamim, right, means that they, right, they're they're not bound by the ways of religion, meaning with boundaries and prohibitions. But rather, this is a quote from Me'iri, What the Gentiles in Me'iri deprecates, they have a completely inverted morality. All ugliness is beautiful in their eyes. Uh, Which is opposed to Christianity, which forbids and punishes sexual transgressions and other abominations. Me'iri thinks Christianity doesn't meet that category. Secondly, it says, that those ancient alien worshippers, the David Dezera, do not concede to the belief in divinity. Rather, they worship... All right, meaning they don't worship the divine creator of heaven and earth rather they worship idols and stars and tilismash I don't know what those are and all those are the essence of a okay so now um, Rabbi Henkin says and he's you know Hamilton he agree on this these two positions are connected because Miri believes that if you believe in multiple gods who conflict you can't have any kind of moral legislation because what this god likes that god won't like all right so you have to believe in one authority over the world Right that's a prem- that's a, that's a premise of uh, right a, a prerequisite for right for moral for a moral culture. Now then her thinking comes up and says you know what since in Christianity the trinity cannot have conflicting wills so Christianity meets that test. Right? Christianity does not believe in conflicting authorities right? that make it impossible to generate moral legislation yes. Do you
2: mean God yeah. let's think of the United States government
0: right I mean, we
2: have various centers of that are in the tank, right?
0: yeah
2: and we don't say you can't have any kind of law of morality because the Supreme Court says one thing okay. all of the end, we're right.
0: evaluating whether he's right right now I just want to find out what Mary says okay. then in the end we'll talk about whether we can reach the conclusions we want to reach based on him and whether we, in fact we, find, we have to find his reasoning compelling well
2: there is the question of whether Rabbi Hankin is correctly understood
0: really, Niri yes this is, uh, although I say at this point Rafenkin and, and Professor Halpachal are not in any disagreements right? the only thing Rabbi Henkin comes along and he says you know what the Uri never addresses the technical question of whether Christianity is Avodah because obviously if you, bow down to an, if you bow down to a statue you're an Avodah that's not his issue And Mary says, in terms of determining whether we treat you properly or not, right? In that regard, in that regard, Mary says, that's a function of whether you have the kind of religious beliefs that can generate a moral culture. In terms of the question of how we relate to your worship, well, guess what? You bow down to idols. You think your god is flesh. That's pretty clear. Um, Okay, right? Um, so what he ends up saying here my student Josh Harrison I thought had a great formulation he right, says so that he has to distinguish between abominable idolatry and Shel Toiva, and non-abominable idolatry still idolatry but it doesn't carry the same degree of moral appropriate um, and this I think Rathankin gets it absolutely, absolutely right that um, the Gemara I think he quotes this no, not as my idea I think he quotes it the Talmud has this really peculiar idea that Gentile, that idolaters outside the land of Israel aren't really idolaters. They're just carrying on ancestral customs. What it means is that they don't have the, they don't have the fundamental beliefs. Uh, they don't really believe in paganism, which is what generates all these moral, moral evils in his vision. Right? And I tend to agree with, you know, that some of my students know that I think that paganism is defined in uh, biblical culture as the attempt to achieve transcendence through sex and violence. And that right, and that's what generates all the moral evils that they're rejecting But it's, it's a perversion of the physical. Um, so if you're just carrying on these rights, you don't really understand what they're about anymore, then you don't it doesn't generate the same thing. So if Hankin makes the claim, right, uh, picking it up right after the um right, right at um, right after the the ellipses, right, it says I mean, therefore because of the unity issue, right, because of the unity of authority issue. Um, right. Meiri thinks that Christianities are Ovea They worship the God in some form, even though their belief is distant from ours. But he says, and this is indeed a great rationale for distinguishing between Christianity and other forms of Abadazara, even though bowing to an image of Jesus certainly is Abadazara in the opinion of Meiri as well. And here Hagen writes, as opposed against one who erred regarding Meiri's intent, which I assume is Professor Halberthal. Um, all right. and he's, and he's piece, piece, some series of evidence he says if you look, it up, if you look closely at Nehiri's comments on Avodah Bet and Babam Bet where Nehiri talks about why we are allowed to engage in commerce right, nowadays with Gentiles even on their holidays so Nehiri was very careful not to write that there's no Avodah in Christianity but he writes only that there's no decree regarding them. In other places he writes that Ishmaelim are not are not of the Avodah but he never writes that about Christians Right. He says explicitly that there are positions that hold that Ishma'ilim right, are, are not of the Abadazrah, and he never says it about Christians. And therefore Tanken comes up with a very interesting position that um, there is nothing in Christian theolo- in Christian belief about the unity of God that is a violation of Abdhazarah, but belief of, but but bowing to images and belief in a in a transubstantiation are Abdhazarah. And therefore he ends up saying that um, he thinks that uh, Unitarian Universalists are not of the Abadazera. Um but uh, yeah, but certainly Roman Catholics are, um, you know, Episcopalians, and most of the sects, you know, most most sects which have either image worship or Eucharist are uh, right, he defines as a mass are of the, the symbolic. Yes, yeah, so you have to be careful, right? you have to check the theology. In the corner of you have to check the theology of each church. And then you have the interesting issue, which we talked about in the program two years ago in the published Shavuot. How do you evaluate the status of whether I can walk into a church? Is that defined by the theology of the denomination? Or the theology of the minister? Or the theology of the majority of the congregants? A unitarian universalist, and this is a big deal. Because the movement officially has a very vague idea of God, but there's been this revival a specific Christian God talk, right? Among certain versions of the movement, uh, right? And the members may have entirely different positions. So they have all sorts of interesting halakhic questions as to, how you defi- as to how you define that. In general, I I tend to allow um, walking into universalist, unitarian, universalist churches. Um, um, okay, but I don't know enough about most other Protestant uh, Protestants. Um, okay, so now let's let's test. Um, Let's test Halbertal's thesis, right? Because the fundamental claim Halbertal makes is that Erie thinks that there is no Abedazerah in Christianity, and therefore you can be engaged with their worship, right? And all those provisions are removed. And um, Rabbi Henkin claims, no, you can't do that. And Halbertal makes this claim based on a, um, a broad terminal, on this terminological precision. So here I have to make a reference to, um, I, I always quote Rabbi Sol Berman taught me this, the notion of predictive principles in Halakha. Right, if I want to set up the claim that A always goes with B right, so I have to know in advance whether a certain object is going to be B or not. All right, so Pre- Professor Halbertal has these three categories right, um, which are civil discrimination um, indirect contact with idolatry and social contact. So, and there's like these 60, 70 different cases. So I had my students I gave, what I did was instead of giving them Professor Halbertal's neat categorizations I gave them all these cases in the order of the Talmud. And I said, take every case and put it in either category A, B, and C. And it turns out that it's not a very good predictive... The categories are not good predictive principles. And on the whole, with, with, except for a few cases, the students distributed randomly as to whether these laws fell into category A, B, or C. Uh, so it's difficult to test Mr. Halbert's thesis on a broad level. What are three categories, A, B, and Civil discrimination... Um, indirect contact with idolatry and the social contact uh, leading to marriage. What's
2: the fear in the last one with the
0: social contact? We're afraid that we're going to intermarry. But,
2: and then
0: That's, that's perfect. Okay. That's that. Yeah, but, you know, so, for example, um, right, if I say that you're not allowed, that, um, you're not allowed to eat um, bread baked by Gentiles, is that because we don't want you being with them and then you'll marry them? Or we don't want you eating with them and then you'll worship them? with them. Or is it really a case of... We don't need to favor-
1: fall enough to bake a star. Right.
0: Or is, it, or is it a case of that we that we want to favor Jewish bakeries? Mm-hmm. Right? You can fit it, right? You can fit it into each of these categories. And the Talmud or, and the New don't always tell you which is which. So it's tough to predict. Well, yes, judge. So we, but right.
1: well, we're the I think, in part of this whole chain. And eventually they say, we forbid that we because of the RAP Yeah, why and is so, a particularly complicated case? Right, so I, I think RAPs is... In,
0: the first dollar after is intermere and the second dollar after is Vodasara yeah and is a penultimate right end. so so one is a particularly complicated case so been, Right. we're not going to talk about how to predict that at all so Miri thinks there were two different zeros at different times it's a mess oh, but I'll give you here's a simple case okay um you you see a destroyed um you see a destroyed non-Jewish building of worship and you say yay God we <laughs> destroyed this house of worship <laughs> Okay? And now Miri says, ah, but that means, right, that's only of those ancient religions, etc., not these people. Okay, is that social contact? No. no. Is that civilly discriminatory legislation? No. That's contact with ideology, right? That's your opinion of their religion. So if Professor Albertell were right, Miri should, right, I quote again, right, he should only refer to Right, to their religious contact and not to being right. that's about as clear a case as you can get it has nothing to do with civil legislation it has nothing to do with socialization it's only talking about our opinion of their religion right and Professor Halbert said and gonna quote it again he said it is no coincidence it is no coincidence that the second distinction never appeared right between Gurim and non-G'dirim Never appears in the context of revoke, revoking prohibitions involving indirect contact with idolatry. Well, You can argue,
2: this is saying what you say, you see it destroy the building. You're not indirect contact with idolatry. Is I don't sell the things that they used by idolatry. Right. But if
0: I think so, so the statement is literally true, perhaps, right? Even with this, yeah. right? That it doesn't r- occur in the context of revoking prohibitions. But if we say in here he uses these terms rigorously. And when he's talking about religious evaluations, he uses and when he's talking about civil legislation, he uses this has nothing to do with civil legislation. Granted
2: that, but, 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 but there's a distinction between that Dr. Howard those three classes are not really inclusive. There are things are not those classes. Right, but again, but, right. on, but it's are, the same no basis. The discussion about evaluating religion is, is you know,
0: maybe it's it right. right? Understanding Dr. Howard's values Right. Yeah. Right? So it, it does not seem to be what he said. I mean, I don't know. It seems to be that, for example, it shouldn't say here, as it does, of course, right? That, right? right, it doesn't belong there. Right? If his claim is true, it just doesn't belong there. Well, but no. You, you think, like in the that, that if you want to make some distinction,
2: the Vodazor, which is you mentioned something yeah the Vodazor which is to Eivar the Vodazor which is also even for Dodgers in that category then it might be reasonable to say that your response to a destroyed building depends on which of those categories but then
0: you mean. shouldn't mention you shouldn't mention the uh, Dur- the Elilin Dur- right you should just mention the Girot then if it just depends yeah, on okay. that no, that's
2: fair right.
0: yeah I, I think it's hard to sustain and this example can be multiplied um, on the inverse side, right, So what about right? So what about the rule that you're not allowed to cook for Gentiles, uh, right? You're not allowed to cook for Gentiles on Yom Tov because you have no right because you have no obligation to feed them. And here he says that only applied to those Gentiles, not our Gentiles. Now what are we talking about? We're not talking about contact with idolatry because you can feed right because it's only a prohibition on Yom Tov, not during the week, right? We're not talking about um, marriage. Yes. We're clearly talking about civilly discriminatory legislation. Right, right. Whether it's, you know, it's that we can cook for for that for, for us and not for them. I think, and here. here mentions makes no mention of during <laughs> the Right here, he only refers to a daily That's source number four. So on a um, on a, just the flat level, I'm just giving you these two examples, but I could multiply them. It just doesn't seem to me convincing that the terminology is consistent. Um, you know, you know, again, it's difficult to measure because there's so few cases which are clear. I thought I gave you I thought the two cases which are easiest to predict and Miri reverses his language um, ok uh, that's A now question B what does Miri really think Right? we've been working on the assumption that the good guys all through this are Christianity right? even though Miri never says that in many of these places it just distinguishes between the bad old people and the good people it doesn't tell you which people are good right? which of the current people are, uh, are good so in, um so in on Sehenim la Mechera Metalef. Here he writes the following: Um A person should, right, should always be eager to learn Torah, right? Um Right? Kidei la Hashikhet Apikorus, so as to silence the heretics, the Apikorus, right? Hamusim Misham Rayot leMenatei Hamakdumot, who bring from their proofs for their ancient religions, benichsholim beMenot Hashneiut, beMenot Hashneiut, and fall into the trap of dualism and other beliefs in the, right, in the hosts of heaven and he gives an example of people who say Right, it refers to a multiple god now the question um, the question here is um, what kind of pagan religion brings proofs from the bible what kind of ancient religion Right. So here he says, a person should always be ready to, right, to learn Torah, so that you can counteract the biblical proofs. Cisurim.
1: That's a
0: joke. My name were Orastian. Brought biblical proof. Okay. So maybe there were, right? They, maybe there were, right? Maybe there were faith that someone took the Bible as sacred in Talmudic times. Right, which don't long, Right, Miri doesn't think. Right, and Emanat hashnuu doesn't sound so Christian dualism. Christians would be Emanat Uh Okay, and source number nine. Yeah, but because course, and you know, don't
2: they
0: refer to Jews who do not follow? Who lead to a Right, but he says emunot hakdu Right, 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 and he refers to them as avodot sholzah hashemayim. I don't
2: think this is an instance of these people. where they attempt to use the Tanakh the Torah to convince Jews that there's something wrong with their beliefs. And there are, you know, such stories that you know, certainly exist for some ancient times. Uh, it's not, uh, I don't think it's claiming that they are believers in it. It's not claiming that they are Christians who believe in the Old Testament
0: claiming that these are people who want to cite scripture in order to convince you of some of their beliefs, but because they think you believe them, not because they believe them. Okay. Let's see if you say the same thing about the next one. Okay? Sifrei right, minim books of Minim, whoever those are right, also some kind of derogatory term for uh, wrong believers. The hein these are the books that the Minim wrote for themselves after they apostatized. Okay, if so we're talking about some kind of faith that attracted Jews. <laughs> including books that they wrote as polemics about our faith. Even though there are many biblical verses written in them. Which they use as proofs for their words. Uh, we don't say this. Harder. Harder to think. Harder to, right, harder to think that this is not talking about Christian Philandering. Now, at the end of this, he says, right? That, yeah, but be very careful. He says, right the next the right, As a literary form, they said about this, right? Uh, read right, that if a, a lion is running after you, you should run into a of and out into their houses. So maybe they're not of the Azarat, they're just something worse. And that's only because they're Jews who are in Ishtameh. Although, you know, that's you know at this point at this point it's you know it's hard to say that he's talking only about right, only about Jews who apostatized to Christianity. Um, you know, that's not what he's talking about in his time. Right? By his time already, you know, most churches are not just of uh, Jewish apostates. And the and the and the polemics are not just written by Jewish apostates. But a lot of them were. So you could get out of this, right? You can say, you know what? The right here in number eight, he's not—he's referring to Zoroastrianism, Gnosticism, Mithraism, whatever it may be. And number nine, he's referring only to texts written by written by um, written by written by Jewish apostates and or uh, and or to um, and or he's not really calling them a David he's just calling them a Minim. I just think that it's harder to do this, right? You know that there, there's it, the pressure. The pressure on saying this is, um, is difficult. Okay, source number 10. What? Pardon? The
1: question? The, the Christians, do say what?
0: That theory thought of Christians as, 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 as of the Abedezeram. Uh, no, it's on the question. It
2: doesn't. Yeah. The theory that proves that he thought of something worse than the respect. Oh. Yes, yeah, so I said you could read source
0: number nine. I said you could read source number nine and say, since it says you should go up to Batea of the Avadzerah, not to those, so they're not so they're not technically of Avadzerah. They just happen to be worse.
2: They're worse in, in the respect of being more attractive, yes. They're more dangerous. Worse in terms of being more attractive.
1: He's not talking about civil interaction and social interaction. He's yeah. talking about books and burning these books and. Dissing yourself in his books precisely because they're so close to Judaism and you don't want to be attracted to them. But in autonomy, in terms of social relations and, and judgment, he still might um, maintain what he said in Boba Khan. Um, uh, the
0: so their religion is not a it's just horrible. No, no, no it's they're horrible. No, we're talking the religion, about the apostate
2: Jews here, right? It, it, it's exactly the point you were making about the Shah,
0: that he has to maintain that it's a disaster to become a Christian. Uh-huh. It's a disaster to become Christian, just none of a dozen up.
2: It doesn't. He's not, but he, he, in fact, he explicitly says this. you know, it's
0: worse than a, 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 right. a it's, it's worse than not a, not a It's just none of a
2: dozen It seems to talking specifically about apostate Jews, and those of the ones you're supposed to prefer to, okay, I'm a you're to, to Christians there or something else but I mean, when he says to go leave the house of Lazarus, not these ones. He's talking about the apostates who read books to the Jews. Okay. He says they will not hear in the book. Yeah, It's only the people who knew the truth and
0: were apostates. So it could be that you know that he's that he's, uh, he's complacent with non-Jews who do this, and it's really just Jews he finds. Okay. Uh, we can say that well, the problem with this is that in a um, one of the radical places Neri suggests uh, one of the, which we're not going to get to today is that he suggests that conversion outworks and so this reading of this will contradict that What? what? Neri says that if a Jew converts to another religion then we judge the Jew as a member of that other religion uh, which I would see to contradict uh, any number
2: because it converts about doing a apostate it's producing a solution fact uh are
0: talking about civil uh, no 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 they may not they may distinguish between a uh, a Mumar and a Mishuman. Uh right Mumar is sure because he's still Jewish right he's Jewish right but if you really convert out you're not Jewish anymore that was a Gionic position how, how do you distinguish Mumar and be a Mumar hasn't joined the other religion he just he right he just he just worshipped he but he's not he hasn't seen himself he hasn't cut himself off well from Judaism he's a Jew who worships a Hard. <laughs> OK. All um, churches, Yeah, oh, I know. right in, in Harvard Square. <laughs> uh, um, let's see. Perhaps we'll eventually have Sweden to, to, to church, so that's where they meet. Um, OK. Um, OK, source number 10. Um, right. So we're going back. All right. Is it, this is a, a parallel context in areas um uh, sorry, number ten is right, an which we which we saw already, right? Talking about talking about civil um, civil civil legislation, uh, right? Theft and things like that. And here again, the mentions right their, their religious beliefs and doesn't limit himself to talking about So it's true, Professor Albertson only makes the claim one way. He says he never mentions about category about right about um, about religious matters. But it should be consistent. It's not, and it's not even consistent the way he says it. I, I just. I frankly don't think it's so... Um, I frankly don't think it's supportable to make the claim that the terminology is used precisely. Um, okay, what does Mary really think about Christianity? Let's say, even if he doesn't have the terminology consistent, right? what does he really think? So, verse number 11, right, and now we're certainly in... verse uh, number 11, we're certainly, again, um, we've talked about which category it says, right? you, you don't have to refrain from being worshipers of these... Right, the bad religious dudes. Um, okay, but you shouldn't engage in extra long greetings with them, as opposed to the good ones. Okay, now what category are we in here? Um, well, it's social contact, and Mary permits it, so that would that would be that would be bad news, right? That Albert Hall, sorry, that would destroy the whole claim. So, so since Mary's is going to permit it it's got to be out category A or B, according to Professor Halbutal, right? Now, is this civil discrimination? Or is this avoiding indirect contact with idolatry? Should be the second, be the second category, right? And therefore, what should Miri mention? Yeah. Only of Deheh and not mention anything about Drim Right? What does he say? Uh, so again, I, I just don't think the, I just don't think the, uh um, I just don't think that the claim holds up.
2: Okay, but he has got a, a, another further thing which is a novel
0: language. Oh good. Okay. So now having, I think, you know, for at least for my purposes, said that we can't rely on we can't rely for, um, on the claim that Here he has this very distinct language to tell us what Miri he thinks of Christianity. Now we have to look at we have to look at what he actually says everywhere. So what he says here is so those nations that are um Right, and they believe in the existence of the Holy one who was is, who is blessed, leachduto, right, In terms of his, what's achduto? <laughs> what do you think? Ah, that would be yichudo.
2: It's
0: uniqueness, All right? Complicated, right? Via and it's omnipotent. So those people, right, who believe in the divinity in some form. Including right, his existence, his power, and his uniqueness. Uh, singular. His one, right, the question is: How would you say? How would you say uniqueness?
2: Maybe it's unity. Okay, you think unity? Fine. Let's say unity. Maybe
0: that's right. Maybe I'm reversing it. Uh, oneness. Okay. Okay. Good. So now we should be happy. And, you know, so now the question is, first of all, is that a plausible thing to say about Christianity, of all the things? No. All the things I'm mm-hmm. going to say about Christianity, right? If the good guys in the area are Christians, to say they refer right, if you think Ahdito means unity, that's a push. Well, they say they believe in one Yeah, so it's possible to say, and I used to <laughs> think this also. Look, if you ask a Christian, do you believe in one God, even a different Trinitarian, of course. Do you believe in three gods? They also say, of course. So why yeah, should they we believe don't one don't as three. opposed to no, no, yeah. oh, three, three persons? persons. Yeah. yeah. So we believe it or not. So we say, look, you know, you say things that look contradictory to me. I'll be Donny Lukaswood, <laughs> and I'll take your one. That you know, when we brought in Bill uh, uh, Cunningham from the Boston College Center for Jewish-Christian Learning to the program two years ago to talk about this issue specifically, so people tried to get an answer that, that made sense to them, that, right? You know, and he gave a very powerful presentation at the end of it. No one could make up their minds. <laughs> um, you know, on all these issues, you know, what does it mean to bow down to statues? And you know, some students came out saying, "Wow, that's what is And Some people said, "No, that's exactly what I do." <laughs> right, right, it was very, it was very confusing. You know, it's very confusing. It was very, very confusing. Um, okay. Uh, so here he goes on to say, um, "Even though they confuse a few things, according to our faith." Now, are these the same people, right, who we refer to? As right in the Vakama, as he has two descriptions of these worshippers of the divine in some form. One is that they're distant, even though their faith is distant from our faith. The other is that they share our belief in his unity, its omnipotence, right? And even though they confuse a few things, it's tough to know, he right? talking about? Is he, can he possibly be talking about the same people? Uh, the descriptions are, are deeply problematic so at least that, you know, I don't know whom Iri is talking about where in this regard in I'm an olive Iri deals with the question of whether one is allowed to engage in a partnership with a Gentile because there's a fear that a Gentile will, uh, will if one has a partnership with a Gentile at some point you'll have a business dispute the Gentile will be obligated to take an oath in court that he didn't steal from you and he'll take the oath by his God, and so you will have violated the prohibition against causing other gods to be mentioned by you. Um, in that regard, um, Meiris says, as many of the, as the Tosimists already said, that we no longer apply this. Now Meiris should say, we no longer apply this, because guess what? you should use all this classic terminology. Right? Because, right? In the Helvetel, he should say, because they worship God in some form. Right? Instead, Miri does is quote the Tosafists, and what the Tosafists say is this narrow claim that um, when they say the, when they say God, their intent is for the Creator of heaven and earth. Now, some versions of Tosafists are more radical and say that even when they say the name Jesus, they intend they intend the Creator of heaven and earth. And that's much more radical. Uh, all I want to point out here is, and it's all I can do for now, in a much in a different version of the share. I'll I'll, I'll, point, I'll I'll make this in a greater length. Is that Meiri doesn't see himself as saying something different than the Tosafists, right? The, right on this issue, right, as opposed to using his own terminology, Meiri simply quotes the Tosafists. Right? He doesn't say Christians aren't of David Ezra. He simply takes the Tosafistic uh, solution. That seems to me to tell you that he's not seeing himself as saying something radical and since the Tosafists thir- certainly thought Christianity was of a Dazara for some purposes right, it seems to me that Erie unlikely not to have thought that as well. Okay. So 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 on the question of whether Nehri thought Christianity was of a Dazara the terminological claim doesn't work what he actually says is difficult to figure out. Um, now the other issue we have to talk about is yes.
1: Sorry. But if you are going to argue that it which I think you said at the beginning that this is ideological mm-hmm. then he will say a stronger thing or a weaker thing depending on how much he ne- needs to make his ideological conclusion uh-huh.
0: so you want to say that Miri is just okay leaving it here because there is another way of getting the same conclusion and he should only say his ideological claim right when he needs to the problem with that is that, as Orbach pointed out, there are many places where Maimonides says this, even though the same conclusion is reached by the Tosafists on other grounds. Ah. <laughs> so it's not consistent. It's not consistent <laughs> really that way. That.
1: Uh,
0: well, you can claim that this is a more famous position, reaching that, so he's okay saying it. You could do it. Uh, it's not perfect, I think, though. Uh, okay. So the next issue we have to address is: to what degree is Maimonides apologetic, as opposed to real? So. Samiri um, in Yivamah Tzadikhen Amal Aleph says the following we hold halachically that, um, gen- that um, gent- Gentile eternity doesn't count for a whole bunch of purposes okay, and then he says now why do we hold that Gentile eternity doesn't count you could say that we suspect that um, Gentile women you know, don't, aren't, aren't uh, monandrous and therefore we have no way of knowing Right, whereas among Jews, we presume that the primary sexual partner is the husband, and therefore we have a presumption of paternity. By non-Jews, we simply don't have that. Tamiri so says, no, that's wrong. And he says, the proof of that is, if you have twin brothers who convert. Now, twins, we all know perfectly, right. Mary believes, twins can only come from the same father. Okay, which is certainly a very plausible description of the vast majority of cases. <laughs> right, and, it, and he makes this as a medical claim. Twins, that right? You can't have you can't be born as twins from different fathers. Yes, I know we have cases now where that's not the case, but he, that's his assumption. Okay. And within that world, he says um, he says, or you could claim that you have a husband and wife locked up in jail alone for a year and nobody else has access to them. That. that would also prove it. Nonetheless, he says, right? We, we hold that Gentiles have no paternity. Ah, then he says, "Kach This is the rule. Kol of me'ovedel ilim. So long as he's one of these idol worshippers, they know on the tot. And not in the bounds of legal religions. Now, the problem with this is nowhere, to my knowledge, and I'm welcoming Lyden, no one ever in Halachic history has suggested that Christian that that twins of Christian parents who convert are still halachically related to each other. Or Muslim parents. Or Muslim parents, right? No one, right. You know, whereas even Mary's radical position about converting out.
2: Well, wait a second. You yeah. can't do anything
0: Because
2: Non Jews, after who do have a relationship on their mother's side. And right. one thing you're sure about please, they got to say, mother. Right. So, I don't know what would they not be? I mean, they can't marry.
0: No, so, it was a boy and
2: girl. They can't marry. No, so. Either.
0: So, a so we generally rule, right, that Gersh and Sky or Kikata and Shinola have done that, uh, right? That, uh, that right, a convert has no relationship, right, has no relationship with with family at all.
2: We don't do that for a raya, the mother and
0: the son. Yes, we do. All, we the don't we do. that the we do, the raya that we do. We just make a zayd that nobody should say that somebody converted only for this, only so they could, you know, solve their edible problem. Um, right. This was my um, right. One of my great Purim pieces, I think, was it was called. Um, Right, with kind of A is making the claim anybody who says Oedipus Rex sinned is, is an error right? that's how they claim right, right? So, right, so the play was, it was called Oedipus Rex Maliki. Right, Oedipus Rex the Amalekite convert in which he discovers that it was permitted to sleep with his mother in a mitzvah to kill his father <laughs> <laughs> apparently Mr. Shalom Karmi has in fact written the play <laughs> right, that's where right, right, I came up with the idea of so a very long sprint <laughs> um, so yeah, right. The Orayso we rule that way. But we say Sheli you Okay. If you take this Meiri at face value, he says that right. He says that twins born from non-idolatrous Gentile parents are still related to each other after conversion. Now, as opposed to even his most radical position about conversion out, which has only precedent. I at least don't know of anywhere else in halakhic history where this, where this was suggested. Um, so it makes one wonder. It makes one wonder. Um, right, you know, what's going on there? Now on the other hand, that is a real, here we get back to ideology. Right, so we talked about, we talked about the, right, the inequity in civil law as something that the Talmud uses as the classic example of probable Gentiles. But the one that bothers most contemporary yeshiva students is saving Gentiles on Shabbat, right? Or more to the point, not saving Gentiles at the cost of violating Shabbat, right? That's the one of which just sort of sets the test. You know, you'll save, right? The Halakha says you should save, right? You should save, um, you should save Jews even at the expense of Chibol Shabbat, but not save Gentiles. Now, the, now we have in fact in practice solved that by saying that Mishum Eivah, right? That we take the Talmudic exception and make it the rule. And we say that, in fact, and that this is in fact the case, practically, that if it ever got out that a Jew failed to save a Gentile when they would have saved a Jew at the risk of violating Shabbat, that would cause a pogrom. Right? And so, therefore, we don't, we don't do this now. But there's a moral tension in saying we only do it in Shomei right, and not because we're out of the value of human life. Uh, this is best expressed in a classic um, sort of, I guess, yeshivish joke uh, about um, Professor Saul Lieberman of the JTS and Morton Smith, who was the great non Jewish scholar of Jewish history. Uh, in which allegedly Professor Smith goes to Professor Lieberman and says tell me if I were in a burning building on Shabbat would you violate Shabbat to save me and Professor Lieberman says of course and then Smith says ah but would you save me because of the innate value of human life or would you save me because and Professor Lieberman says of course I would save you because of the innate value of human life and Smith leaves happy and Lieberman calls over the nearest Jew and says of course I told him that (laughs) <laughs> and then, and
2: that sort of you know that you know, the, the
0: joke which you know, sort of sets up the you know, right, the uh, the moral tension <laughs> of the law. It's clearly not satisfied, you understand that it it's not satisfied uh, to say to say not Um uh, now so if you want another way out, right? If you want to find a you know if you want to find somebody who says no, it's because they're human beings and we hold that you know that we hold that, the, you know, that human life is the ultimate value of Judaism, etc., etc., except for Abba um, give it et uh, right, We like to say that, right, about Shabbat. So here in the it says, in terms of pikuach metesh, saving lives, we don't call the majority. Right? As for example, you have a courtyard, which has both Jews and obdei elilim in it. I want to point out that this, here we're talking about civil law discrimination again, so we shouldn't say obdei elilim, we should say gerib drachei Adam. But here, Miri he doesn't mention Gadur <laughs> B'Druchah He only mentions a daily right? So, if you're not, right, so, you're, so we're, we're dealing with saving people on Shabbat. You have a, you have a courtyard which has both Jews and a daily in it. Then, she'en she'en onim the Shabbat lehem is a daily whom we are not required to violate Shabbat for. O'il <laughs> terachar she'en lehem shum dat because they have no legal religion. So here, it's like, this is this is why Miri is such a great source for those of us you know Orthodox Jews and Universalist leanings because here, here he says look in fact anybody who had right in fact the ones who aren't these you know these evil idolaters you have an obligation to say the much about even though they're not Jewish right now the problem is here again Mary is the only one who says it and if you want to take this as a basis for stock right then do you also have to follow his position about 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 twins who convert now no one has ever considered following that position. In my knowledge, there isn't a single trace in halakha. Again, I I don't want to make absolute statements, but I don't know all of halakha. And, you know, my teachers, you know, my teachers before the Barilan came out, who knew vastly more than me, have often tripped up by making such statements, because now I have a computer and I can check this. So I don't want to fall into the same trap. Uh, But, is it, from a halakha perspective, is it inconsistent? If Meiri believed that his position, right, between, his position about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, Right, extends right, applies in right in all these cases. So can we rule like him in terms of Shabbat, and not rule like him in terms of? This no. rule is not
2: which one this was. This is even the real Zara who we count as. No, he's talking about a question of a which is
0: no, no. So he I mean, says he said, no, no, no. This is this. just is just, this is just the introduction. He says right. How do we know that you don't follow majority? Because if you have a courtyard which has one Jew and nine of Daily Liam, you have to save them all because we, we care about the one Jew. And he says, but by the way, this whole case only applies right where you're dealing with old daily living. We don't have an obligation to save. Because they have no das. But of course, people who have a das, even though they're not Jewish, you would have an obligation to save. That's the implication. All right? That's right. That, I just didn't give you the whole count, but that, that's, that's the whole quote. Now, I should point out one other thing. Whenever Meiri makes these radical claims, he only makes them by implication. Right, he does, for example, he says here, right, for example, Of right, right, whom one is not obligated to save because they have no doubt. Right, this is the law regarding, right, in terms of paternity, regarding people who have no doubt. Right. When, he makes the, when he makes the non-radical claims, he says, but, with regard to those who have doubt, when he makes the radical claims, he leaves out the but. Uh, right, he just does the implication. Pretty consistent. So you have to wonder again. Now, does this is mean that he really believes these things, but he can't get away with it? So he's just seeding with tradition, hoping that somebody will eventually come along and paskin like it. Is he is he cluing you in that this is really just apologetic, and don't believe in any of the other places I said it either? Uh, I don't know. It's tough to imagine. He says it so many times. And yet at the same time, I would say that there's a pattern that the, you know to me again. I have to show you all the cases that the more radical he gets halachically, the less likely is to spell out the implication. Um, so I'm interested, you know, to see if that pattern really holds up. That would be interesting to me. There's a question?
1: Oh, uh, did you define Doss yet?
0: No. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you going to? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, the last thing right, I wanted to present is, it, and this is the whole discussion about wine touched by wine touched by non-Jews. Um, right, probably most of you are aware that wine, which has actually been used by non-Jews as a libation, is biblically right, you can't get any benefit from. Wine which has been touched by a certain set of non Jews is presumed to have been used for libations and therefore one cannot derive benefit from. Um, wine which has been touched by non Jews, even though we know they didn't use it for libations, right, cannot be drunk, but non- but there's no prohibition against deriving benefit from. That's the way we have Allah now. All right, in the Middle Ages there was still a con- there was a controversy about what set you know what exactly the boundaries were. And he puts all these positions about what, right, whom you can leave alone with wine, right, whose wine for drinking, whose wine for touching, and all that. In this, right, repeatedly, um, he talks about. Let's take a look. Um, right. First of all, he mentions the category of ger okay? And Okay, this is where Dr. Shatz mentioned earlier. Right. Here we get to it. Right. A ger may be left alone with wine in our domain. Okay. Even in a city that's majority Gentile, and we don't. A Gerto Shav, we don't, right, we're not worried that Gerto Shav is going to touch the wine. We're not worried, uh, actually, we don't, we don't even mind if he, um, right? Because why would he touch the wine? He's not going to steal. And he's not going to worship Abedazarah. So why would he pour the wine? All right? So a Gerto Shav, we can leave alone with our wine without any difficulty, as long as he's in our house. But if he's in his house, so he might let another Gentile who is, not, who is not a Gerto Shav touch the wine. Okay? So the rule regarding a Gerto Shav. Is that you can leave him alone in your house with the wine, but you right, you can't leave wine in his house. Okay. Now, what's the definition of the Gerta for these purposes? Is right. it a Shah? as we're waiting for? Right. So, Kol Shekibel A Gerta is anybody who accepts the prohibition against Avodazara. Okay, good. You don't even need the other six commandments, apparently. You just need a lot further than I know, I know, I know. Okay. All right. Is, but the Sephardic Rabbi is agreed. All of them, that even Ishmaelites are not right, are not and you can leave them with um, with wine in your house, just so you don't put the wine in there. But all the other nations, even though we say about them it's just their custom, their custom, their hands. Nonetheless, minaskim they are they make libations.
2: Nowadays
1: Ishmaelin don't drink wine
0: anyway. Nowadays Ishmaelin don't drink wine at all. That's, that's true. Well, yeah, no. No. it's Islam Islam prohibits. Islam prohibits one. Yeah, but whether it actually no but whether it actually this is actually carried out or not is a much, <laughs> different, I'm not a much different question. I don't know. I, I get the impression that, that this is you know, that this has worked about as well as prohibition did in America, uh, historically. Um, you know, for the parties at which all you know, the Jewish poets and the Arabic like, poets are together. There's a lot of wine there. <laughs> it's like that story, that's right? yes, it's yeah. the, the, the I right? Ages. Yeah. Like, in Muslim countries they
2: yeah. weren't supposed to, but they didn't anyway. Yes. Yeah. Right.
0: So I, I wouldn't say that Muslims right, then you can leave Muslims alone in their house because they don't drink wine. That that seems to have been a push. Um <laughs> Yeah, that, that, seems to have been deeply, deeply, that would be a deeply unwise yeah, principle for right. what we can delve in, uh, in high, at least in high Muslim culture. Okay. Um, okay, nonetheless, these other nations all bring libations. And even these, I mean, Geritoshav, we, we still have the prohibition because of, we're afraid of intermarriage. Now we just look at the language, where right? he says, Geritoshav is anybody who accepts upon themselves not to worship a And the Spanish rabbis say that includes Muslims. But all the other nations are different. Now, we know the Spanish rabbis is Maimonides. And Maimonides says explicitly that Christians are of the Abedazorah. Not a peep. From the And it goes on again. Right? Whole discussion about whether this is true of Ishmaelites, right, of, um, right, of, Ish- of Ishmaelites or not. Um, okay, and then he goes on to tell you later on, um, okay, right, he says, the great commentator is we only I talk about Miri uh, has this thing, he doesn't identify anybody by name, he only identifies people by nickname, which is why I think that Talon's student of the Rashba may be his student, because he is the only other, if, that, you know, that, that public is the only other medieval commentator I know of who identifies people by nickname as opposed to by name. Um, at the beginning of his work, Miri tells you who each of these people are, that he's going to refer to in his commentary. Um, so he says that, right, so the Gerolehem they and the Chavrim and the Geonim Right, agreed right, that agreed regarding Ishmaelites that their touch right, that their touch is uh, assumes that there's no obligation to libate um, and they make different claims by the ger toshav. Then in the end he says, right, even though for this right, the, the fourth paragraph on the page, even though for this purpose anyone right, who is known not to worship Vodazera is called a ger toshav. In terms of the purpose of keeping someone alive. You're not called a Ger Shabbat unless you formally accept the seven commandments in front of a rabbinic court. Okay. So now, where, where, where all of a sudden, where did all, the, where did the Christians go? It just vanished. He has got lots of opportunities to say, "But our nations, lots and lots of opportunities." We just said we have to save, we have to save them on Shabbos. So hard to know what is saying to any degree is Well he does here
2: explicitly saying you don't have the same number.
0: Right. So what's going on? Despite what
2: the indication yeah. you it from the previous yeah. steps.
0: So it's very, very difficult. You know, here's this is the opportunity. Right, this is the opportunity you know, he has so many so many opportunities to do it, and he just doesn't say. It. So in terms of um, right, so this is what I think is the um, is, you know, is, Professor Hankin, is Rabbi Hankin's really compelling argument. Just some silence. There's so many places that Miri has the opportunity to just tell us, Christians are not of Deva He says, right, the Sephardic rabbis right that Muslims are not of Deva He never says it about Christians. He has so many opportunities. It's suspicious. Uh, right? it's, it's, at least, it's at least suspicious. Um, okay. Now, pulling this all together, actually, the last thing is, uh, now, we hold the halakha, a very strange halakha. We hold that Christians, uh, we, we hold that Christians are, right, do not make wine yayin right, neseh. They only make wine stami and amrit, because we say that Christians do not make libations. This is a weird, weird halakha, because difficult to imagine that, the, right, that the, wine of, the wine of the Eucharist is not a class. right. Not a I know it's not a libation. So it's not a libation, but is it? Could you ask for more of it? If you think Christianity is a dazarah, could you ask for a more intense participation in ritual, <laughs> right? Than to make something part right, and to make something part right into the flesh of your God, the blood of your God. It's a wild, wild thing to me. Wild, wild thing. Uh, I, 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 you know, Ramah says this, and it's got you know to me, it's like one of the all-time great stretches in Halakha to make this right, to make this claim. It seems to be the simplest way of understanding Miri here is, as Rav suggests, that he doesn't think Trinitarianism is necessarily Abu but he thinks that certain practices are and he won't say that Christians are not of the Abu for this purpose, because in fact, they use the wine of the Eucharist right, in idolatrous ritual. Um, right? And so, while there are other purposes which he's willing to say this about, where he's willing to say that, Christ, that Christians don't fall into these categories, he's not going to say that Christianity doesn't involve it. And in this particular case, Right in the same way, if you ask you know, can you leave a Christian, can you leave a Christian alone in your house with a, right, with a statue of Jesus and not worry about him worshiping Aba Dazerah? No, right? he's going to bow down to it. Right, that's a real risk. You can't
1: really but if you're worried about him taking an oath, well, that's a theological yeah, how do you question. A statue there. Right. Yeah. It's all statues almost. Yeah,
0: the statue shouldn't be there anyway. Okay, um, right. Um, it's a suffix statue because you want to. I mean, I actually, I actually got you know, pretty. Nice. I actually got a Shiloh from Israel a couple of months ago. Somebody who bought a, a jacket. And discovered after you know, and looked at one of the decorations of the jacket and said, "Wow, that's a Buddha." <laughs> right? So they sent me a, a photo, of, you know, this picture. Right? To say, you know, am I allowed to keep this jacket or not? <laughs> so right? So now, so I have a computer now. So can I leave somebody alone <laughs> right, in the room right with this image oh, like, well, no. The was a
1: Buddha.
0: The jacket was returnable, <laughs> and I strongly suggested that they return the jacket. Um, <laughs> you know, it was like you know, it was a. It was like one of these things that was you know, it was designed to be sort of like a Buddha. You know, it was clearly designed to remind you of the image, but perhaps not to offend religious sensibilities over much. That you know, they they altered some of the features. Um, okay. Um, okay, So let's all right. So so the first question. So we have to deal with um, in terms of costume-like the Lakshmi. So on the one hand, we really want a the Niri because he lets us save Gentiles and Shabbos, especially the Gentiles around us on the other hand we're not willing to say that Gentile twin converts are related so is he honest even if we're ideologically motivated how, right. Right, does that let us pick and choose um, secondly right, does Nehri really believe this again because we're not, right, not only are we not willing to posse like it about twins it's not that we believe he meant it by twins but there are more deeper issues um, in terms of posse like an Um and here I should say that there's this anti-religious website uh, which published probably the best article so far Professor Halvatov is really good, but this is really, really good. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, some, you know, obviously formerly Orthodox uh, doctor, I think, named David Goldstein, uh, wrote wrote this whole article on Meiri, and the point was to show that you can't defend Orthodox Judaism on the grounds of Uh, Right. Mm -hmm. Along the way, he examines what Meiri does really well. Uh, It's a really good article on Meiri, (laughs) as he has, has, right, he did the manuscript work uh, um, about the different versions of that tractate. You know, a really good piece, I have to say. Uh, He have to worry whether it's if I mean him or not but, um, <laughs> right, so, but happily it's on a website so it's not such a uh, there's nothing real um, so, uh, so what he what he says is and I, oh well I think I forgot I didn't bring the actual quote what he says is you know what the it doesn't help you so much because when it comes down to it what did the iris really say and the Eerie says that people who have a dots now, They're okay. Now, what's a Das? Right, so a Das is, Professor Halbertov says it, I think he's absolutely right, and here he, in various places defines this. A das is a legal religion. It's a religion which enforces moral law. Doesn't right, and here he doesn't believe, right? Miri is very clear, he doesn't believe that atheists can be moral. He doesn't say people who behave properly. Right, he says, people who are gadur hadat, right, have to be bound by religious law. Now, this is a common belief. You know, in all debates about you know about religion in, in, right, in America in, in the 18th century, all about is it possible to construct a moral society without belief in God? They really clearly believe not. So yes, look at all the debates about you know the founding fathers and all that, right? You know, Jefferson, right? You know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe, but it's important for the people to believe because you can't possibly do it, right? Um, so if we take Mairi at what he says, Mairi gives us no room at all, no room at all to, right, to, uh, to justify um, treatment of atheists uh, at all. Probably Mairi gives us no room at all to deal with Protestants, and particularly America, because America is the one place in which religion has absolutely no legal force. Right? So America is a society which is built on the presumption. what's
1: well, there's the Catholic society?
0: Catholics still have some kind of legal sanctions. You know, there's that They still treat it's still no pope, but doesn't have any powers. No, but they but they regard at least they regard their religion themselves as being right. They see themselves as down by law.
2: They're,
0: they're, they're. Now look even true. further. <laughs> right? What's Meiri? What, to, right? what does Miri want? He wants a religion that conceives of its obligations as law, and then enforces them. And what's his example of things it enforces? Well, it enforces laws about sexuality. Okay? What's his prime example? Homosexuality. Right? So the religion, the kind of people whom Ramiri thinks we can treat differently are the kind of people who believe that there should be, that there should be practical religious punishments for homosexuality.
1: Where's
0: the you say this? So in the example, sorry, number 15, 15? um, there are a number of places he talks about... um, Right, they don't do toei votes. Right? They enforce laws against Toe votes. Right, and that's it, right, and va is of course a uh, uh, towards, right? so if you look at source number five, the sixth line in the Hebrew um, well actually that was Rabbi Hankins' claim. Right? In the fifth line he he says that they that, that they they uh, keep the boundaries of a the whole Nehem. so Hank's claim is Gilead Rayot. Let's take a look at um, here, source number. So line Arnona. At the bottom of
2: 15? Yeah. About
0: homosexuality? Is there a 15 talk about it explicitly? Yeah, there's yeah. a, a 15 talk about it. Yeah, the 15, right? The writes, Arnona was not suspected of homosexuality since she was a Gertrude Yeah. I think clearly the point of the Gedor B'drache d'ad is that it enforces the it enforces the boundaries of, of religion, right? Of the Shevam Mitzvot, right? That, that there's the people who keep the Shevam Mitzvot, and call the Kalvachomer. The people who keep the Sheva Mitzvot is a matter of religious law. This is
2: strongly opposed to the Rambam. Yes. Right, it says that strongly, here you know, if you accept Sheva you yeah. say so.
0: Yes, the is, the, I think the theory is is, a, is radically opposed to the Rambam in that he grants legitimacy, right, for certain purposes, to, right, to extra-Jewish religion. And you can see that in a number of places where the Rambam, at least not one place, has the striking claim it has to be because it's in our Torah. But if you ask like who are the who are the Meary's enemy, it's like, liberal Protestants. Right? Who don't have the case quote of sexual morality, don't believe in enfor- right, enforcing don't believe in don't believe in enforcing in enforcing religion. Right? It's, so if you ask me, does possibly like the Miri get me where we need to get in America as an ideologue? No. Right? So my you know, so my answer is that usually the debate is, you know, of course, to get to where we want to get ideologically, you have to possibly like the Meary. The question is, can you possibly like the Miri? And my answer is, no, of course you can possibly like the Miri. But it doesn't get you where you want to get. All right, because what we need is is atheists and liberal Protestants. And that's what we have in America, you know. And it doesn't get us there at all. Um, So my suggestion actually is, in the end, that what we really need is um, that there have been several moves, some of which are more convincing than others, to take the broader ethical principles of reciprocity, etc., such as Mishum Eva as a negative principle, um, and, and we played Darkei Shalom the positive principle um, Rabbi Walter Wurzberger of Blessed Memory was the first and contemporary in America to do this but there are any number of rabbis um, Yehudah Untermin and um, but I there There, many people who have argued that you have to take Darkei Shalom Eva or even unstated principles that are behind those and say that there's a fundamental principle that you're supposed to treat other human beings in, right, in an ultimately moral fashion uh, we interpret the shalom not as to keep the peace, but that there's a positive obligation to create a to, uh, to create a productive culture. We treat mishem va not as don't do things that will hate you, but don't do things that will make them deservedly hate you. Um, and Rabbi Chaim David Alevi, the late Chief Rabbi of Tel Aviv, argued even further that the shalom is what we do when people have when when treating with people who have lost their right because of their behavior. To ordinary moral treatment, so we say even then we have obligations to ourselves to treat them that way on certain issues. But obviously, right? If they, right? If they, if, if they're the kind of people who deserved it, we would have to do that at a simple because it's simply right and wrong. Uh, and my take is that in the, right? If we really want to get to where we get with real ethical integrity, then theory is not the way to do it. Um, it's you know it's nice to pull out of certain narrow issues, but on the core issue. Um, allowing the debate to be confined to whether we pass on like the Niri or not is a mistake because the Niri, because we can't really honestly say theory that, that what we want to reach is what the Niri says right? because we're not interested in only being able to treat Catholics in a particular way. Um, secondly we don't really want to be able to, to say necessarily I don't want to say that conversion to Christianity is not Yereg war right I think you know I, I want to, I think martyrdom is justified. Uh, I don't want to break down the boundaries and say we all worship the same God so what? Um, I think there are real differences. I think the category of Abadazah is real. And the question is, how do we deal? And there again, I think that Rabbi Henkin's and uh, Josh Harrison's formulation is right. How do we deal with a society in which um, theological theology does not have immediate moral implications? Right, right, you can talk about people as having bad theology or even bad bad ritual practice without right, without claiming that that means they're a poor character. But that, I think, is a real challenge.
2: Well, that matter, we
0: Four characters well, no, I understand that, that. That's an old issue, right? That we know, you know that we know how to deal with. Right? An old, at least we know. it is a whole history, but this new phenomenon right? Of, you know, whole cultures that right, whole cultures that we evaluate positively morally overall, right? We might have debates about certain issues of sexuality, but we think that you know, basically they're good people and they really treat us well, right? Even though we, religiously, they see, right religiously they have positions, they engage in activities of terakol of adazarah and we think their theology right, is, um, at the best, confusing. Uh, right? I think that the way to do that is not going to be through the Miri. Miri um, offers a, you know, a theological opening, because what Miri does offer, which is really helpful, whether or not he says it about Christianity, is the, is the, right, is the capacity to make that distinction. That you can be a technical violator of a vodazara, right, and not be a horrible person. And that, I think, is actually more helpful than in the Haldorzal's thesis. Because he says they're not of the Abed-Azara, right? And the point is, no, they are of the Abedazerah. And it doesn't matter. Right? Their Meiri is really helpful. But it Fuse's authority is not really fair because he only believed this about people with certain theological uh, faith, uh, beliefs and cultural claims which aren't true. The,
2: the obvious move at yeah. that point is to say that, is that the Meiri could only conceive of moral, of moral authority as flowing from religion. He had no other example to deal with he, he couldn't, no one could come with, to him with a Shiloh, or he could not think of you know, the, the case of people with civil or moral behavior as to what he was expecting who were not guided by religion.
0: So now we and can it's claim it's a, question so
2: of what, it's a question of what the essence of the Manier's requirement is.
0: So we can distill it and say that here he made a wrong factual assumption, but really he would come to the same conclusion. All right, we could do that. Yeah,
1: it's not far fetched I mean
0: it's not far-fetched, you just don't know. And I mean, if you want to use his authority, and we're taking a minority position. Not, to, take, right, to take an extension of a minority position that is a push. I think we're better off. This is what he does, mind. I think we're better off to, you know claiming that we're a mainstream position. Right? This is what right that you know that and you know and meta principles such as God um right have always been there and they, right, they need to be understood in this way, I, I think that's the more productive end. That would be my, my summary. Uh, I'm not convinced by the reading of Meiri that way. I'm not convinced Nehri meant it as far as he says it. Um, I'm convinced that Meiri isn't saying what we want him to say anyway. Um, so we could possibly like him, if not really honest, to say that we're doing the things we do because we hold like Niri. Um And we should go back to working on developing a, uh, developing a thesis that comes out of broader principles in halakha, Uh, rather than pegging it on one particular position, fun as that position um, is, um, and useful as that position may be in particular narrow cases. All right, thank you once again for uh, your attention. Thank you. you. Uh, Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe
2: on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.